Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Uh, today's guest is guitarist Brian Gassler from The Jazz Dune. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, thank you. So um, Good to be here tonight on the podcast with you. <laughs> thank you. Um, Brian, I wanted to you know, first mention a lot of these bands that we have on um, were on the Emo Diaries, and you guys were on Volume 2. That is pretty high praise to be that close. Um, people are fans of uh, this podcast know I, the band I was in was on Volume 7. Not as cool. Um, so how did that come about? And I want to know, did you get just a box of CDs as compensation? Because that's all I got. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Maybe, maybe it was two boxes back oh, then. Oh, wow, two um, boxes. As far as... Emo Diaries too. Oh man, you're gonna have to jog my memory. As who was on that? Who was on that? I can uh, I can look it up. I can look it up. I actually didn't. I actually didn't have that ready. Uh, I was yeah, hoping. we um, we. I'm, I'm gonna search it here now too. But we. Um, I think we just got a call from Deep Elm that was interested in put a, putting a song of ours out. I think. Oh, I got that it. Time we had done. They love those that make the music. Mm-hmm. Um, which was our first full length on workshop, and we had done some tours around the East Coast, and um, you know we saw this as a good opportunity, and we actually recorded it at the same studio that um, we recorded. They love those. Oh, cool! And actually, I just saw the track listing: Pop Unknown, Appleseed Cast, Seven Story Mountain, Blacktop Cadence, Branston, uh, Miracle of '86, which is uh, um, that's Kevin Devine. So that that is a good list. Yeah, Blacktop Cadence. We had um, that, that's Hot, Hot Water, Water music, music people. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it was the guitarist there from Hot Water Music. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a good list. And um, quickly, kind of, uh, you guys um, were all from the same area, correct? The Jazz Dunes. Yeah. Right, the Jazz Dunes guys. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, okay, so the Jazz June, we, we all went to Kutztown University. Uh, we all started in 95. Um, I think about 96, Andrew, who was the singer and guitarist, got the band together um, with Justin and Dan and another member, Nat Duncan. And those guys started playing, and they were practicing in, in the basement where Andrew had lived. And they played a couple shows, and after a couple shows, they asked me to join. So we had this three-guitar attack for a while. And um, we really, it all centered around Kutztown University, tiny little sleepy college town in East Coast, Pennsylvania. Cool. And, the, you know, from, from, from you guys doing that, like, were you doing the, you know, weekend shows when you had a minute, and then in summer you would get in the van and go? Was that kind of the MO of those first couple of course, first couple of years? Yeah, really. I mean, we, we hit it pretty hard in college. So it was lots of, it started out in Kutztown, getting a little scene going in Kutztown, branching out into Philly, hitting those weekend shows, um, you know, spreading to New York and Boston and, and Baltimore. And then um, anytime we had a school break in the year, if it was spring break, we did not go to Florida and, and booze it up with the meatheads. We got in a van and we drove around the country. And we went on tour. It was good, good times. So those early tours, I mean, it, it's interesting when you kind of say, hey, we hit Philly, we hit New York, we hit Boston. That was kind of that thing. You hit regionally and started building just like you built in your hometown. And um, those those tours when you were kind of just getting in the van for the longer ones, um, you know, kind of, I guess, jog your memory or kind of figure out how did, how did those tours come about? Was it a phone call and you hoped that that kid – booked the show and people were there and someone flyered yeah you know it really i think it really started we met mid carson july so there was brian and eric lippincott and uh, a crazy little kid mike schmidt and they had rotating drummer in, in that band as well um but those those guys were, were all about playing shows so we got hooked up with them and we really i mean we played every little basement in pennsylvania Whatever it was, you know, if someone's parents left for the weekend, we were a bunch of 19-year-olds. It's like, all right, let's go, let's play. 30 kids in the basement rocking, you know, songs from They Love Those That Make the Music. And that's really how it started. Just started in the basement, started in Kutztown, branching out a little bit, and then starting to hit the bigger cities. And then realizing, you know, people like our songs, and, and we like to create them. So this is, this is getting to be kind of fun. So... Let's see where where else we can go. And then, um, eventually, we got hooked up with with some booking agents, and those were the larger tours. Um, you know, in support of the medicine, um, that was our longest that we did. Theta Booking had booked that one. Got it. That is a familiar one that a lot of people mention as well. Um, yeah, yeah, Eva. Definitely had a lot of these bands on lockdown early on. Well, that's I mean that was huge to get a booking agent back then. <laughs> you guys must have felt pretty good. It was nice, you know. It's like you get a you get a tour schedule. Um, we had a rider, like a really small rider, like just feed us, and if you have a you know, give us some beer, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just feed us. It was really let's let's make enough money at one show to get to the next show. Yeah. That's what it was all about, and it was just. You know, the band is really tight. We have a really tight friendship, and it was just just about exploring and, and getting out into the country and, and playing music that we love. 
Yeah, and I actually wanted to mention Workshop Records. I had not thought about them in forever, and they had put out some grade records, right? Yeah. How did yeah. you guys get involved with them kind of first? What was the – did they find you or – Well, so one of these early on tours, and, and I think this was probably a weekend longer, spring break one. We had played with Midcross in July, and the last stop – this was maybe like a five- or six-night tour. The last stop was in – Jeez, it was Carnegie Mellon in, in Pittsburgh, if that's right. I know it was the University in Pittsburgh, and it was a fest. And we played with Midcars in July and a, and a bunch of other, um, you know, emo and, and indie bands. And Mike from Workshop Records was there. And um, he, liked, he liked the Jazz June, and he was interested in, in putting out a record. And at that point, we were like, you know, this is getting to be pretty fun. So if someone wants to pay for our recording, that's cool because we're just college kids and, you know, we, we don't have the money to do that and we do want to go in the studio. So let's go for it. That's cool. That's awesome. I mean, it was that simple. I mean, were they, were, were they super helpful in kind of opening up some doors for you or did you feel, you know, you guys were kind of hitting the road and that was kind of how it was happening? I think with the workshop was, you know, it's just like punk rock. You know, Mike is a really down-to-earth guy. And it was like, hey, hey guys, you know, we've got this much money and find a studio that's local and go for it. So we really just were playing shows at the time. It wasn't I – th- I think the shows and, and us playing as regional as we did and, and as often as we did is really what, what made it, you know. Um, I think at that point you had a lot of the zines. You know, I don't I don't know what's going on now, but there was tons of these independent zines out there, and they were um, putting out you know vinyl releases along with the magazine. Oh, man, what's the one? Muddle. Muddle, yes. There was one out of Central PA we did as well. Man, oh man, I'm <laughs> I'm a little washed up here, so <laughs> memory's not so good. That's okay. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think that's, it's almost, you know, I think I want to kind of talk about today and your thoughts on things, but that was how you did it. I mean, you guys did textbook punk rock, figuring it out as you go. Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know this big engine, right? I mean, um, well, I'll I'll tell you my age here now, you know, I'm 35. So it's, we're 18 years ago. We didn't, I didn't know what this landscape was. PR thing or this marketing machine and we just did it we just we just knocked on doors and we met cool people and that cool people that liked us and if they wanted to write about us that's great and if they wanted to put out a record that's even better yeah and then I think you know from from you guys you know the emo diaries which was you know it was some great bands on there people found out about it you're touring um, you're touring with different. Were there any other ba- like you mentioned, Mid Carson July? Were there any other bands kind of early on that you guys connected with on those tours um, from that era? Yeah, from um, oh, They Love Those. I mean, after They Love Those, it was it was the boom, and those years were really Mid Carson July. But I think we had a tour with Hot Rod Circuit, and you know, I think this was two or three weeks. We were on a three month tour with the Medicine. And just connecting with Hot Rod Circuit, that that was another another good time and another bu- good bunch of guys that you know had the same vision as us. 
Yeah, it seemed. Uh, it, I actually, I was, I was mentioning this to another f- uh, friend today when I was talking about doing this, and I mentioned how I remember listening to you guys, and I remember being like, "Yeah, it's emo," or "Yeah, it's you know indie." I let's do it again. I mean, it's super indie rock. Um, and I kind of want to think like, if you, did you guys kind of be like, did we just get lumped into something or were you kind of just doing it and not even thinking about it? All right. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, we, we hated the word emo. Well, yeah, I figured, I figured from <laughs> like, okay, we understand like life is emotional. Things are emotional. Music is emotional. So you just call us emo. That's great. Isn't, aren't all things emotional? That, that was kind of our, our take, but we really, had within the band a, a unique dynamic of musical tastes, and what came together was the sound of those couple records that we recorded. So I would say Fugazi was a huge, huge influence on the band, big time. But then, you know, I remember a freshman in college, Andrew giving me the promise ring, the first seven inch that came out, and I was like, my goodness, this this is awesome, right? So there was a little little influence right there from, from that side. And Captain Jazz, that's another huge. So these were all influences on the band. And my, I mean, for me at that time, coming out of high school, going into college, it was a big-time jawbreaker. So all the elements kind of blended. And then we had, um, you know, Dan and Justin kind of like were on the DC end. But then we also had like, this hardcore mix. Um, Andrew and I played in the band Atari. And I don't know if it really truly had an influence on on what we did as the jazz gym, but, you know, all of us grew up listening to Judge and Gorilla Biscuits and New York City hardcore and straight edge hardcore and everyone came out of the straight edge scene. So I think you, you throw all that together and you, you get those couple records that we had. Yeah, and it's obviously it's kind of a not a broken record but it's it's so similar to so many other bands and either they came out of the hardcore scene or the metal scene um or they DC was huge or it kind of went that like midwest um era or or area rather um and you know jawbreaker fugazi all that stuff and um i think i think it does uh, you know listening back i i can hear pieces of those things and um, I think, you know, you guys were probably, uh, that's why I want to get your take. Like was, was getting looped into that something that you were like, oh crap. Or did you just kind of accept it because there was a scene around it? Yeah, I think we, we accepted it. I mean, we would say we were, I guess, I don't even know that we truly labored ourselves. I mean, looking back, we might, I think by the time we were in medicine, we were all kind of shifting down the, the indie rock road still had these post-hardcore influences in us. Um, but, you know, the emo thing, I don't think we ever truly accepted it, but now looking back, it is, I mean, fit in that era, in that genre. So it is what it is. I mean, perception is reality. So Yeah. Was there one record you guys could have on the van that everyone agreed on? Yeah, there was a lot of this. I mean, there was a lot of this. It would be... You know, it would be days of Fugazi. It would be, yeah, throw that shellac 10,000 hertz on. It was like quicksand, quicksand slip. I would probably, you know, they want to throw me out of the band because I can't stop listening to this. So, 
Are you going to check out the reunions? Are, are they? Are, they're playing Philly, right? Are they? Are they yes. You know, being a growing up and you know living around the New York City area, um, big time quicksand fan. But I just moved to Charlotte, you know. So I'm I'm a bit washed up, as you'd say, and bit and a bit of an old man with a couple kids, and I I can't get to Philly. It breaks my heart that they're playing there, and I I moved here like three four months. Ago. Uh... Well, I'm sure there'll be a YouTube video. <laughs> I'm sure, but that's not good enough. It, it isn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to see it on the, the first go-around, and um, it was great to see them back and um, just to hear the sound, and you know, it seemed like they were in, enjoying it, um, and that's kind of what you want to see. Just like with the Promise yeah. Ring ones, I feel like they just had a fucking blast. Yeah, it's, you know, in my younger days, it was like, okay, I got to see Jawbreaker, right? So first time Jawbreaker came around, 24-hour revenge therapy. I think I was in a junior in high school, and my parents wouldn't let me go to New York City with a good friend of mine, Dave Turzo. He, was, he turned me on to all this music, and they wouldn't let me go. So then when Dear You came out and we were in college, I, I got to go see him. So that was great. And I, I got to see Slayer as well. Yes. Quicksand. They were on their tour, right? And then they broke up. I had tickets to the show in Philly, and they never ah. made it. So this is, to the day, I've never seen Quicksand. And, and for me, they are a huge influence. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit bummed about this reunion. Damn. I mean, not, not for Quicksand getting back together, just for me not being able to see them. <laughs> well, I mean, if it goes well, maybe they will do more. That's always the thing. You see these. Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, you Come never on. know. Come on down, y'all. <laughs> Walter, if you're listening, I'm yeah, telling exactly. you, I know, I know at least six people in Charlotte that will show up. That's it. That's it. We can do it at my house. I got a big garage. <laughs> we just need to do flip front to back, and then you can go home. You don't even need to do landmine spring. You can just go. That's, you are you hit it on the head. <laughs> um, I think too. You know, you talked about your friend Dave and kind of who you got into music and how you learned about new bands. Um, I love asking this question because it's it's just fun to hear. You know um, how people find out about it. Was there um, was there someone? You know, was it college or was it high school that you kind of really really dove in and started learning about this stuff? Either it was hardcore bands early and then it was indie. Yeah. So believe it or not, for me, it started out with Run DMC, Raising Hell. So. You know, I grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania, in the Poconos, and there was a really, there was a really bad like tape store in town. You know, it wasn't even they didn't sell records and CDs weren't hugely popular um, at the time. And I got run DMC raising hell. But then, you know, my sister listened to like White Snake and Motley Crue, and I was like, I am not, I am not listening to hair metal. So I, <laughs> I listen to I listen to rap. But then, you know, coming into high school, I had met some friends, you know, and uh, Brian Turzo was a good friend of mine and his older brother, Dave, um, they were in like skate rock. So I had worked with the Turzos at their father's dentist office. We were the, like the maintenance crew. Mm-hmm. So in the summers, and this is like, I guess started when I was 15, in the summers, we would paint their Uncle Jack's fence and Uncle Jack. Um, had this big, big yard, wrought iron fence, and he would just make us go paint it. So we'd spend a week at a time. And Dave had a tape deck that he'd fill with music, right? So we'd listen to The Misfits. We'd listen to Jawbreaker. It was Sam I Am, Slayer. 
I mean, there was so much. I mean, shelter. I saw a, a picture on on Dave's Instagram the other last week, and it and it had like a picture of the tape deck that he had in his bedroom, and you know, blast shelter. And I, I'm like, wow, this is. I'm in the wayback machine right That's now. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was a skate rock. It was Dinosaur Junior. You know, it was. Mm-hmm. Just good, good times. I mean, that's really where it came in. And, and I remember we'd have conversations painting the fence thinking like, yeah, when I'm 30 or 40, uh, you know, I'm still going to listen to this music, you know. And I, I remember, you know, post-college, it's like, when, when, do, when do dudes just like start listening to Top 40? Does that happen? Or am I going to listen to this music for the rest of my life? And now, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm still rocking Dinosaur Jr. from, from those days. The jawbreaker I've got loaded up on my on my iPhone. I listen to, you know, going driving back and forth to work because, you know, Forgetters have an album out now. Yes, Forgetters so is I'm good. So I'm a Blake fan, and it's pretty cool to plug into the Wayback Machine and just think about when it all started. Welcome to Washed Up Emo. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's, uh, you have a time machine as well. <laughs> yes, I do. All right, so everyone, everyone that's listening... <laughs> We need to focus. We need to go back to 1996. <laughs> um, that's cool. I mean, uh, I don't know if you had a chance um, going around the internet today was the reggae version of Jawbreaker. Did you hear that today? No, I didn't. Um, Jawbreaker. <laughs> that's what it's okay. called. So I'll send you the link. Um, if anyone hasn't checked it out, I'll, I'll post a link um, and you can check it out. But yeah, it's uh, making the rounds today. Uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> To say the least, um, you mentioned some of those first records and those first tapes. Was there a first record? Was it the Run DMC record? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was Raising Hell, and um, I think it was all right to start with rap and then move over to indie. So that was really the one that started it for me. And and coming, that's that's funny, you know, the rap side because Justin, the drummer of the jazz gene, I mean, he was he's a hip hop guy, right? But us. We, we in the jazz room, we all listened to a Tribe Called Quest and, and Run DMC and, of course, the Beastie Boys, but we were into that. And, and when The Roots came out and, you know, Do You Want More and Things Fall Apart, I mean, these were all times when we were working on the boom and the medicine. And I don't know if any of these drum beats are kind of, you know, fat, bass-heavy rap song drum beats, you know? There might be a little coincidence. So... Definitely a little hip hop influence going on with us. That's awesome. Yeah, not that you totally hear it in the music, but it, it, it's there. I mean, we it, listen to everything. That's great. And the was there um, a, a first show that you went to that kind of set you off on you know guitar or kind of was like I'm going to do that? Yeah, I uh, first show for me. This is a little embarrassing. Was uh, a band called Mucky Pup. I'm familiar. Yes, and this was at a a VFW in Bangor, Pennsylvania. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, skinheads there, skinhead fight, nine yards, you know, red Doc Martens and white shoelaces. So this is one that, yeah, we went to because it was in our, basically in our hometown, so, so we went. But not that it turned me on musically, it just started opening my eyes to like, okay, there's some things out there. There's some clashes. There's a scene. There's some clashes. There's these skinhead jerk-offs. But, you know, there's young people coming together for music on a small level. This is pretty cool. Um, as far as shows, like, really 
first show for me. I mean, when we were in school, we went everywhere. You know, Archers of Loaf played in in uh, it wasn't Drexel in Philly. It was um, wow, losing losing my memory here. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I remember in college. I mean, just going to so many shows and 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 just. I mean, it was three nights a week, and it wasn't you know crap bands. It was. Bands that were touring and bands that had, you know, if it was Sunny Day one day and Mr. T Experience the next day and then, you know, uh, you know, Jets Brazil or something. It was nuts. I will say I, I do have a show, you know, if I go back in memory, that one that kind of sat with me was I was senior in high school and then hanging out with the Tutso gang again. And, you know, high school lets out at 3.30 and... My mom's going to kill me because I probably never told her this. But, you know, it was like a, like a Thursday night, and I was like, Mom, I'm going over to the church. We're going to hang out late, watch movies. I'll be home at like 10 or 11. And this was kind of rare for my parents to let me do this. And we went. I told the, you know, Mrs. Terzo, hey, we're, I'm, I'm going with your sons, and we're going to Philadelphia. We're going to go see Peg Boy. So saw Peg Boy at what was then Johnny Dobbs, and they played the Earwig album. Nice. I'm actually a yeah. huge Peg Boy fan. Oh man, and I, I actually listened to that this past week, and I was like, that, "This one holds up." Like, yes, this it does. Is real deal here. This holds up. So, for me, I think going into that that show, and you know, it's kind of rebellious. I, I left my parents; they they didn't know really where I was, but I had um, kind of escaped and went to Philly, a big city, you know, sixteen or seventeen at the time, and you know, saw Peg Boy, and, like, after that, I think my mind was blown a little bit, like, this this is cool, this is really cool stuff, like, rock on this level, it's not the hair rock that my sister listened to, you know, at, at went to Stabler Arena with 10,000 people, this is, like, intimate and indie and a little bit aggro and on the edge. That's cool, yeah, the, so that was, I mean... I think everyone's got that show, but if, you know, Peg Boy, you saw that, you're like, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to play guitar. Or were you already playing guitar at the time? At that point, I, I think I was really at the point where like, I want to play guitar. I want to play guitar. I didn't play until I was 18. So it, for me, it felt like I was a little bit later in life. I know when I came into the jazz June, I only was playing guitar for two years. Oh, wow. But it was those two years. It was just like, I knew like this was in me I, I wanted to do it it was every day just geeking out just, just practicing and playing for hours like two or three hours on end But I was trying to think from those tours, any bands that you kind of loved that didn't get as much recognition that you thought they would or some kind of forgotten bands that you you dug back then? One that surfaced for me lately, and this was just kind of playing regionally in, in Pennsylvania, was Ethel Meserve. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that one, but um, I do. You know, kind, of, kind of math rock part, you know, part of us, most of us, and all of us, shit, who am I fooling? I mean, we, we really like... We like the mathy aspect of music. And, um, you know, I think Ethel Meserve had that. And it was cool, cool playing shows in PA with them. Um, 
other bands, man, my memory is shot. Dan, um, our bassist, had kept a list of every show, and I, you know, that's you got to get that. Yeah, that's one. Uh, that's one to get. We got to dig in the archives of that one and, and take a look. Kind of the initial records um, time frame, and um, that was definitely you know an it label for a minute. Um, you know, they had such, I mean, just to reiterate and remind everybody, I mean, Falling Forward, Boy Sets Fire, Guilt, Ink and Dagger, The Enkindles, and then, of course, the Crazy, you know, Crazy Fest. Um, and their initial records catalog, you know, was always huge, and um, their mail order and stuff. Uh, you know, I'd love to kind of hear the story about that and your kind of experiences on that label. Yeah, so initial records yeah i mean they were it i mean they had a little um they had a marketing game going at the time and it was cool i mean to see some punks actually you know rocking a record label 24 7 and falling forward for me you know that first falling forward seven inch i got that on mail order and and i'm gonna throw a name out here um john dudek that ran very distribution um you know john had passed recently with, with an illness, but um, um, myself and, and Dave Terza would be in his, you know, dad dentist office, like writing and filling out an envelope and putting cash in it and sending it to their distribution. And you know, it came back for me falling forward and the guilt seven inch. Wow. And I got guilt and it was clear vinyl. I was like, damn, this is, this is cool. My parents were like, what the hell are you listening to records for? It's <laughs> like, it's, you know what year it is? You're listening to records. I'm like, Mom and Dad, this is just, this is punk rock, okay? I guess you don't understand. <laughs> so, you know, initial very on kind of sat with me, right? So as we were touring and playing, we, we had a show in Louisville. We had an interview that uh, Andrew had done with Thrasher Magazine. So we got a page in Thrasher, and we, we played a show in Louisville, and we knew initial was going to be there, and we knew that they, they were interested in us. Um, it turned out that for me, this connection to initial, you know, the first flying forward and guilt seven inches, I had a pen pal that I met at the Jersey shore when I was 16 that went to high school with Andy rich who ran initial. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when I hear like, okay, we're going to Louisville initial records is interested. You know, they're doing a interview with, with, uh, with Andrew for thrasher, um, things are kind of falling into place. This is pretty cool. And we met the initial guys and, and uh, the snake from Enkindles. And yeah, these guys are cool. And we talked to Mike at workshop. And Mike was like, listen, you know, I got you. You know, you guys are going to grow. And you're going to grow with initials. So go for it. You know, he was cool. We never signed any contracts. It was just like it, it was a logical progression. And it was, it was time to, you know, step up a little bit we got a little bit bigger of a some cash for recording and some more distribution and, and at that time again we didn't fully think about distribution we weren't marketing geniuses but we, we knew like records could get into more stores if we went on initial and we're like that's cool and, and we can we can still be indie and, and these guys are cool so this is going to work out that's awesome and that what we're you know that seems like that's a crazy the pen pal connection it is really nuts, you know. It's like life has these moments and these strange connections, and you know, everything is everything happens for a reason. So, 
you know, being on initial and, you know, having those connections to those bands, like the Falling Forward, Boy Sets Fire, Gil, Ink and Dagger, I mean, all these crazy fest, having this different world connected to versus workshop, was there, what was that like? Did you guys, you know, start to connect more with different bands? Were you, did it feel like things were moving faster? Did you, like, what were some of your thoughts kind of at that time? I think for us to be in Thrasher, was that was awesome. That was really awesome. And um, we got on a couple skate videos. We have a, um, there's songs from the medicine on the Amped snowboard game for the Xbox, like when Xbox came out. So these were things that were just cool, you know. And I don't know that it really propelled us to be any bigger as a band or affected us. It was just really cool. I mean, you were watching MTV and it was like real world road rules or might've been road rules at the time, right? Where they were playing our songs in the background. Yep. And we had this crazy, um, we, we had a sticker on a fridge in, in Dawson's Creek, an episode in Dawson's Creek in, uh, in Joey's like bedroom. And we we're like, did you see that? You know, it was just <laughs> cool. Like a month to our friends. It was like, the jazz tune, that, that's a medicine sticker. That's awesome. So it, it, there was just, it was more exposure, you know? But I yeah. think at the time, like, we were playing and we were serious about playing. And, and within college and, and, you know, I think junior year, that junior, senior year, um, we got hooked up with Initial and we just became more mature. You know, we weren't 19-year-olds. We were 21-year-olds at that point a little bit smarter because culturally like we've, we've been around the country already. So we were ready, you know, we were ready to take it farther. And after the medicine, I mean, we toured for three months straight and that was really the longest tour we did. And that was the tour with, with Elliot as well. And I, we hooked up with hot rod circuit during that one as well. Nice. How was the, I mean, Elliot, uh, those back, those days were, I mean, uh, those guys were incredible. Um, I got to see them a bunch and I don't know, I think I would have been very, very happy to see those guys every single night for a while. Yeah. Chris was a really cool guy. Um, um, Benny Clark was playing guitar for them at the time Mm -hmm. and Benny Clark turned the jazz June onto a band called can. I don't know if you know, can that's a German prog rock. I do not. Yeah, okay, so if if you wonder why the last Jazz Dooms album is, is quite, like, a little bit uh, stranger than the previous ones, <laughs> it's because of Benny Clark and how he turned us on the can, and, uh, you know, from there things got a little wild, but uh, we had a good time with Elliot. They had a cool cool bass player that we'd hang out, we'd, we'd hang out before shows, and just, um, we, I think we got a little more obnoxious and in the Elliott gang, so sometimes they may have gotten sick of us. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, we got along pretty well and, and had a had a good time that summer. Right now, I was I've asked a couple people this. Do you remember the drummer of Elliott's CD that he had of just drum beats? Because remember, he yeah, pl- they, yeah, yeah, he, they played to a track. So. Yeah, he played to a track. So I've been trying to find that CD for years, mm-hmm. and I can't find it. It's like he was selling it at the merch table. I think I bought a hoodie instead. Like I didn't buy like whatever. I had, you know, 20 bucks and that was it. But I've been trying to find the CD. I don't know if you remember like how he, you know, he played the entire time. Yes, he did. He did. I mean, 
what album was that? I mean, the Elliott album that we toured with. I mean, False Cathedrals. They did have this, which one? Did you do False Cathedrals or did you do the first record? Man, oh man, that is a very good question. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the drummer of Elliott, yes, he had. They had this whole ambiance thing going on the whole time, and he wore the headphones and, yep. and rocked to that track the whole time. And you know, us, us being in the indie scene, we're like, okay, well, what's going on here? It's a little, a little different. We don't. We normally just play our instruments. So. But it's cool. It's, it's, it's all about influence. Now I would think nothing of plugging in and playing along with some type of track or noise track I made on the computer. Yeah. Or it, it could have been U.S. songs too, either that one or False Angels. I think maybe it was U.S. songs. Okay, so the first record. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to find someone that has that CD because he had a CD that was he put out that was just his like drum beats. And samples and stuff, so I haven't been able to find it. So, one day <laughs> I will complete it. Did you guys ever play Mac Rock? We did play Mac Rock. What year? And, oh man, what is what was the crazy metal band at the time? Uh, um, Darkest Hour. Plan. Oh no, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan. Oh, is that when he was shooting the fire? Um, yeah, I'm. I believe Mac Rock. Probably ninety nine ish. Okay. That I actually, right. yeah, actually, I was about to jump. I actually saved all the Macrock little booklets they used to make, mm-hmm. um, and so I was actually going to jump over there, but I'm not. I think, I think, I think it was '99, but uh, I could actually find the show you were on if you wanted. <laughs> I'm, I'm a really bad uh, historical archive, so I, I could just be bullshitting you. But '99 seems like the right right amount of time. Yeah. Um, Did you guys? I mean, that was something that I remember going to. Um, in, in college, we drove and went to it every year and ended up having friends' bands that played it. Um, did you guys kind of get that? I mean, I I felt that that festival, bands played there, and then the next year they were playing CMJ or they were playing, you know, Mac Rock or, um, you know, South by Southwest or something. Yeah, yeah, this this is a, might have been 99 or 2000 because I, I remember Dillinger Escape Plan, but I also remember. Um, split lip, right? They weren't split lip. They had morphed now into Chamberlain. Exactly. So, whatever year that was, we played, and it, it was cool to go to this little college town and go to all these different venues on campus. I mean, I, we saw Chamberlain in this like theater. And we're like, this, this is pretty cool. I was at that show. Yeah, yeah, and and I think 2001 is when we were to play at CMJ. And, of course, we all know what happened in September 2001. So the yes. Jazz June did not make CMJ as a full band. And, you know, at that time, I was living in New York City trying to work. And I, I just played it by myself. And we played, I played CBGBs with a, an American flag sitting behind me. And I played some Jazz June songs and some Pixie covers. Nice. I found the schedule. Ready for your show? Yeah, shoot. So, uh, apart from the projector played, then, uh, wait, I think this is, oh, that was another show. Okay, so Luck Be a Lady, World Inferno Friendship. Yes, yes, they were kind of nuts. Yeah, Six Going on Seven, who I loved. Yeah, we played a lot of shows with them. Uh, Paris, Texas, uh, Radar Mercury, and then Jazz June, and then after you guys, uh, Ann Beretta, and then Boy Sets Fire. 
That's it. Yeah, we had some. We played a lot of shows with Boy Sets Fire too. Which now they have uh, since said they're reforming. Okay. <laughs> Again, no band breaks up. <laughs> well, you know, it's one thing if if you're friends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If, if, you don't ever truly break apart, and when you get together, like you're like, yeah, I remember that time we we played that show, and <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is our wives. You know, the jazz tune wives get together. And it's like, okay, you boys are reminiscing. We're going to go over here and talk about the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's cool. You know, it stays with you. Yeah. Actually, I want to list off some more bands from this just because I think you get a kick out of it. Yeah. Some more, uh, Strike Anywhere Play, Discount, The Stereo, Alkaline Trio, Hot Rod Circuit, River City High, Juliana Theory, Piebald, uh, Mock Orange, Code 7, Rainer Maria, Ultimate Fake Book, Digger, Pinehurst Kids, Pilot to Gunner. Uh, Cave-In, Spitfire, Zayo, Darkest Hour, Shadows Fall, Dillinger, Of Montreal, um, Sheila Divine, Engine Down, Cross My Heart. Uh, wow. That's a... Yeah, uh, yeah. Chamberlain. Of, that was, that of was some Montreal? fun. Yes, Of Montreal played. Interesting. Yeah, so, anyway, that was pretty badass. So, th- that was a good year. <laughs> and, and it was 99? This is 2000. 2000. Okay, and we did... We did get on the books to play CMJ the next year, so you're right with that, you know, Mac Rock to CMJ connection. Yeah. For some reason, I still have this stuff. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm out with all my old stuff now. I need to dig through it a little bit. Yeah, you should. I have an acrid Left for Dead split 7-inch that's pink and looks like a buzzsaw. <laughs> no idea. I think acrid had some connection to grade. I like this. This is the first time I've had a guest go through their um, in their in their in their garage going through stuff. This is good because that's where it usually is after you have kids, right? I'm telling you, man, it's the wayback machine. (laughs) Um, Well, that's cool, you guys. I I was a faint memory, and when you when you mentioned 2000, it clicked that I remember you know seeing you guys there. So um, I've bored everybody on the podcast where I've talked about this festival, but it really was where you saw bands kind of ahead of time. it was a fun it was a fun experience so i want to you know talk about um when you guys got back together in 2007 you guys had put together a cd dvd comp and it was it was it was for charity correct yeah our roadie adam gerhart sweetheart fucking like genuine awesome not so guy had come down with brain cancer. So he had a tumor in his brain. Uh, So it's going to be a little, we're going to, we're going to get through this one, but um, you know, I'm a little emotional about it, but I understand um, Adam fucking awesome dude. Right. So um, Justin, Max and I were together and this had to be shit. I think December, late November, uh, 2006. And, we got a phone call. I got a phone call from Adam on my cell phone. It's some dorky, like, little Nokia phone I had at the time. And he was like, you know, he told me. And I was with Justin. I was like, Justin, talk to Adam. This is, this is fucking crazy. And, uh, uh, excuse me. So we talked to Adam, and we were going into a football game, and we are like, fuck this football game. I mean, life is just so fucking wrong sometimes. So... You know, Justin and I are like, what can we do? Like, you got health insurance issues. You know, this is 
one of my best friends, you know, like we felt, we truly felt like a family as the Jazz June. So, mm-hmm. and really this is all post-college. We all kind of separated, went our ways. Some of us stayed in Philly. Adam had went to Milwaukee um, and him and his wife were living out there in Milwaukee and, and we get this phone call and we're like, fucking hey, what can we do? So we're just like, let's rally together. Like we know he's got to go through treatments he's got to get this thing removed we know there's hardships involved we know he's got to have like a special diet when you're done with this thing so we're like what do we do so we rallied up and and we played a show and we sold out the north star in philly and you know we again we're not not such a huge band so we call up our friends in mid carson july and at that point they had a band called the new bruises so they agreed to play and uh, our friend John Van Dyne, who he had went to Kutztown afterwards, and he was rocking out in some bands. And at that time, I think it was called Marigold. So these guys agreed to play. Um, we went to school with these guys um, that run this record label, Universal Warning. So that was Tim. Uh, Tim at Universal was like, hey, I'll, I'll put this out, you know, because I kind of just put on my PR hat at that point. I was like, I'm going to help my friend out. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the band, like, wanted to help. Um, Andrew was living in Hoboken. We got together. We, we rehearsed a couple times. It was kind of crap, right? I mean, the recording's not the best, but it was just the emotion behind it. And we're, we're going to do what we can for Adam. So we raised a couple thousand dollars that night, selling out the North Star, selling all of our merch. And then we put out a live album. And it wasn't the greatest live album, but the, it was the passion and the reason behind it. You know, we knew it was a vehicle that people would be into, to help him. And, and we gave a couple grand over to Adam and Adam fought his cancer. Fucking a, he is still alive today. You know, wow. I mean, he had serious, serious brain cancer and he was down and out for a long time and they took the tumor out and they did, you know, he was on one of these, um, what do they call them? You know, these trial type runs where like, they're not sure if it's going to work or not because and they, they, they fixed him. I mean, he's a freak of nature. He's always been a freak of nature. And we're, we try to like understand where Adam got the tumor because he's been in so many crazy places on so many tours with us. Uh, you know, it's like, Adam, do you think it was that poop swamp you jumped into in that, uh, <laughs> off, the, off the side of the road there when we took a piss when we were in Florida? It might have been that one. Or do you think it was when you hit your head after you flipped off the counter in Kutztown and did a back dive into the garbage can? <laughs> you know, so, um, but we did what we could, you know, and, and we got together. And, and I'll tell you what, man, he is, he is a freak of nature that's alive today. And, and we all love him to death. That's awesome. So, I mean, from did you guys is that still is that still available the CD DVD comp? Because I bet a bunch of people would want to check that out. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if the if, if the comp I may have some in my garage here, so you can hit, hit the Jazz June on Facebook. <laughs> I'll, I'll mail you one if you send me the, enough money to mail it back to you. Um, <laughs> absolutely, and uh, you know, we've got Universal Warning put us up on iTunes. So we're there. I think uh, I think things are a little expensive on iTunes, so I think we have to take a look at that. But uh, I think it's out there on iTunes. But you know where I'm here. The uh, I was trying to think. Spotify actually isn't that bad for you guys. I'm shocked that we're on Spotify. I don't know how these things happen. Maybe Universal Warning connected us or or something. But it's pretty cool. 
I wanted to, um, you know, talk a little bit, you know, there's reunions abound and everyone's getting back together. And um, do you have any kind of thoughts or reasons why it's now? I mean, my sense is, is everyone grew up water under the bridge. They had kids, they're a little bit older, and then they can kind of do it for a weekend or their jobs are at a point where they're able to kind of do this or there I would love kind of your take on why you think you know these past couple years have kind of been the year of the reunion especially for this this genre yeah I think I I think you're right with the timing so a lot of these bands came up within the in the university ranks and you know after university you're like do I do the band or do I go and get a job and some people got a job and some of these bands kind of dissolved because when you have a full-time job, you, you can't hit the road and tour like you do. And then you, you, you find a woman or a significant other of whatever sex you like, and you get married and, and you have a life and then you have a family. And now, you know, I know with myself, I have a, I have a little one here, but um, the kids get to an age where, yeah, you could sneak away a little bit or, um, maybe you could play a show here or there, and and it's cool. And, you know, I think those that truly love it and love music and, and love being together at the time, you still have that urge. Like, you still always have that burning desire in you. Like, what would it be like if we got the band back together? So I think that, that plays a huge role into it. And now people are just, I mean, we're really jazz June. I mean, did we break up in 2004? I think really 2002, we stopped playing, uh, 2004, there might've been, maybe we played something. I I don't really remember, but, um, we've been through that cycle now. So it's like, you know, I, I'm not saying the jazz June's getting back together, but we're, we're talking about how to put some songs together using technology that's available. I mean, Andrew lives in London, Dan and Justin live in Philly, and I'm, I live in Charlotte. So what can we do and, and pass songs around the Internet to be creative and put something out? I mean, it would be cool. That's great. The um, You know, you'd mentioned that. I mean, it, this is obviously – I mean, I watched the the new Fender or Squire USB guitar, you know, and just seeing, you know, how, how easy it is to record, send something, share. Um, it just seems like, you know, you guys, you could you could – if 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 you wanted to, if if you you could, in essence, feel like you're in the same room almost when you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, right. Like last night, I got an email from Andrew with a song with lyrics. Right, he sent it to me and Dan. So I downloaded it today and listened to it at work, and I was like, damn. I was like, I've wanted to do this for so long with these guys, and now with technology, with the ability to share files that are larger and pass them back and forth, we we can do this. So. We're going to see what happens, right? We're not, we're not going to get back together in a sense like a band gets back together and, and plays and practices. I think we're going to be creative within the confines of what we can do digitally and possibly maybe release a track or two. We'll see. Cool. Well, I know everyone you know, would be stoked on that, and I, just, I kind of love that you guys still have that you know connection between you and I wanted to kind of ask I mean you've mentioned that you guys were friends and um there must be something between everyone that just connects when you guys hear each other it is like you play in bands like you get together with people since since I left since we stopped playing as a group on a regular basis you know there's there's few people that I've gotten together with that you just get it 
Like you get in the same room and it's, it's your chemistry. You get it. Like, you know, when he's going to like do a drum fill or, or make a change, like you can just sense it. And there's some people you get with and you're just like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to come back to the next practice. I just, you know, you get this feeling inside, like it's not really going to work out. Yeah. So we, you know, as the jazz June, I think we just hit on a higher level and it's, you know, we're passing songs around now, right? So I sent some songs earlier in the week to Andrew, Dan, and Justin. And, you know, we're doing a lot by email now or, or chatting or messaging and Facebook. And Andrew's like, man, it's kind of crazy. We're not in the same room. He's like, I don't feel comfortable. So my message back is like, Andrew, I got so scared the other day, like about this. Like we're going to maybe release something and it's crap. But then I'm like, you know what? Who cares? Fuck it. I was like, let's just try to be creative within the confines of what we have, and we'll see what happens. Um, I did have a viewer question, which I think is kind of funny, and I'm interested. I'm actually really looking forward to what you think of this question, and you can laugh. Um, but was, thank you for the viewer question. Um, anyone else think the vocalist in the Jazz June sounds similar to Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind? I always thought they were similar. Something in the lisp. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so Andrew Lowe, Jazz June singer, he does not have a lisp at all. <laughs> okay. But... But there is, like, we've, we've heard this over time. Like, and it, maybe it sits with certain jazz tune songs, um, but it is funny. But we've, we've heard that even back in the day, whenever Third Eye Blind was big with their pop hit. It was like, hey, that, that guy and Andrew kind of sound alike. It's kind of funny. I never put the connection together, and I'm usually like, the first person to do that, so or not first, but you know, I'm always like, oh, I think it sounds like this, but I can't put my finger on it. I did not do this, so hats off to everybody. I did not. Think yeah, that. really. I mean, <laughs> we we have heard it. I I've heard it several times, so it's 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 interesting connection. <laughs> so it's not. It's definitely not the first time. Um, and I think too, you kind of mentioned what's next. You're still, you know, writing with stuff. Kind of, um, are you writing outside of that, or kind of what's next for you? I think if if uh, anything musically other than the jazz June? Well, let's just step back a little bit. We'll go on a little journey. So post-college, yes, yeah, post-college, you know, we all kind of split up. I've, I've got bazillion, uh, four track, uh, you know, garage band, all kind of songs that will never see the light of day. Um, Andrew and Dan had played in the snakes and music. So I think they never really went on a huge tour, but maybe played within the East coast. Um, at least a bunch of cool songs. Um, I got the opportunity to play a bunch of shows with them just as like, hey, Brian's cool. Let him play on stage. And I'm like, that, that's cool. I get to play again, and these guys sound good, so it's cool. Um, so they had to make some music. Andrew had, uh, had met an English bird and moved to England. So he's, he's been over there. He's worked, he was an editor of Sound Engineer magazine. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. Like Andrew stayed within music really heavily, and he's been in. I mean, he's got bands out the ass out there. He's living in London, and um, he toured with a band called Live Fast Die. Um, he had a project called Wake Up Dead. Of course, he had Snakes and Music, and I'm sure he's on something right now. Um, I don't know the name at the, off the top of my head, but he's he's been continuously playing. Justin. Um, Post-college, I mean, he's really been art, super art director, like super awesome creative guy, um, opened his own business. So him and I really never released anything after the Jazz June. But myself, Dan, and Justin, since Andrew went to 
England, we've we've gotten together to play, I don't know, three, four times a year and just jam. So now, I mean, I, I'm talking about me a lot, but I guess because I'm being interviewed, you know, I spent I spent a year in Sweden. with I took my family and, and spent a year over there with work. And when I got back, me, Justin, and Andrew were, or, yeah, me, Justin, and Dan were playing a lot. And that kind of stopped. So the idea now, the idea then was even to let's three of us record and send it to Andrew because Dan has equipment and I have some equipment. Let's do it. But now I moved to Charlotte. So, you know, we, we have this, uh, lots of space between us. So now we're going to try to really put something together on the internet. So that's really the rundown of, of post bands and post music. I, I personally wanted to release some type of album by the time I was 35 and I'm going to be shit. I am 36 like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So, but, but I, but I had a year in Sweden on hiatus, which I didn't take a guitar. So I bought one when I was over there, but I couldn't really record anything because I lived in an apartment. So for me, that's like gives me a year back. So by the time I'm 37, hopefully we hear some new jazz June songs. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I mean, just hearing, you know, the, the kind of how you guys have, have done it. It's just, you guys have done it the way it felt right. And it's, you're still doing that. What feels right? Us playing together. Um, and for fans of you guys, that's, like everyone's probably really stoked on that. Yeah, it, it, it's really about the people. I mean, the jazz scene was about the people and the passion and the friendship, and that's what we were then, and that's who we are now. And I think that that will remain. Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com